listening. Welcome back to another edition of the Power Podcast. This week I'm joined by Bertie. Hey, how's it going? And Forty. G'day, boys. And Ham. Yeah, buddy. And your host, Hamish. The the band is back together for this week um, on the back of it's a the, close uh, loss to the Penrith Panthers. The reunion tour that everyone's talking about. It's forget friends. It's the uh, Power Podcast reunion tour that you want to be listening to. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's dive straight into it. Panthers 13, Eels 12, two tries apiece, one to Makasivo, Isaiah Papali'i, and then Tyrone May, Api Corusau, Mitch Moses, one conversion and one penalty goal uh, being the difference there. Uh, possession 48% to us. We completed at 80%, which is not too bad in the wet. 200 all runs. We were outgained by 300 metres off 14 less carries uh, from Penrith. 39 tackle breaks. We lost the line breaks 2-3. to three. Uh, Average play the ball speed 3.5 to 3.3. Pretty close. Uh, just looking at what's effective tackle rate. Not uh, Percentage 90% to us, 84% to Penrith. We had 30 missed tackles to Penrith 39. 13 ineffective to the Penrith 32. 11 errors to Penrith 15. We conceded two penalties to six. Ruck infringement 7 to 4. Inside 10 metres, only 1-0, and we used up all our bench. All right, well, one point separated us at the end of this game. I'll start off with you, Bertie. Yeah, no, I've, I thought it was a great uh, performance, considering um, but whether or not you want to admit it, uh, Penrith felt like the number one defensive team in the comp. I thought we, I was confident we were going to win this game just because um, they might struggle for points without Cleary, but, you know, you underestimate um, their forwards and the, the like the, the defensive line. They're, they're pretty quick, and they, you know, they do hold you down a bit longer, but... um. It was just two errors that costed us. Two errors that they capitalised, and they were just clinical. You know, you look at the first one, Alpherson throws an intercept. I don't know why he goes back down the short side when he's got, you know, the back the back line going to the right, and then you know Naden catches it, goes ninety meters, and they score. To be, to be fair, the Alpherson, the, the short side wasn't a bad option. You just had to play short to Wanga. If he hits Wanga, Wanga goes through the gap and then finds Sifo in support. He just overplayed his hand there and and laid it up on a silver platter for Naden. And then the other one is um, Sivo almost scores and, you know, they um, he knocks it on in goal and they go down seven tackle set and that was the end of it. You know, they were just they were just camped in our, in our half the whole time. And, yeah, um, I, I, I was ha- look, I was upset because I was confident we were going to win, but, you know, season's not over. You know, I think we can we can still get them, you know. It just shows you how much we miss Reed Marty. Get him back and trust me, it'll be a different, different scoreline. Yeah. Um, it's a hard one because I don't think that we played to our potential. And yes, I understand that Penrith are the best team and the very, very good defensive team, and they haven't lost a home game since June 2019, I'm going to say, or at least 2019. So it's always going to be a tough game going out there Friday night. Um, you know, despite Cleary being out, they've got Matt Burton in who's been in their top 13. So they're moving, you know, they're not bringing in a young half or uh, an unknown. They're bringing in someone that they know will perform. But I feel like... We didn't put any plays on. I'm not sure if that was because Penrith was so good. I'm not sure if that's the game plan. I'm not sure if we were just overawed by the occasion. Um, but I think with the amount of possession that we had in that first half, uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more done with the ball in hand. Um, again, another thing that could be down to is Reed not being a dummy half. I think that um, you know that dummy half is so vital in today's game. We saw... I think that was the difference between the two teams. Well, to me, there was two differences. One was the dummy half. You saw Coruscant. He was the one um, got the six again on the very last tackle, found out a um, slow marker, got that six again, I think, next play or two plays after they scored. 
And then obviously he saw Lane shoot up out of the lawn, Junior hung back, um, and then cut through. That was number one. Number two, I think, uh, Brian Toll. He's just an absolute freak. We were talking about it pre-pod. Um, I think with Sivo and Dunster, uh, whilst Dunster has shored up that right edge defensively, uh, we just need someone who's going to be, you know, a kamikaze run into the from on tackles one and two. They just bring so many meters. Um, helps break the defensive line for tackles three and four. Um, other than that, uh, so in the first half, a little bit disappointing. In the second half, I was inspired because um, Penrith had all, pretty much the exact same ball that we did in the first half, if not even more, and we just you know kept turning the, back. Kept the possession split was, was skewed more to Penrith in the second half than us because we ended the first half with fifty-four uh, percent possession, I think. And in the second half, overall, they ended up winning the possession battle, which means that it obviously skewed more towards them in the second half. So, yeah, um, to turn away, you know, we've scored the same amount of tries with them, but to keep turning them away, keep turning them away, they got a lot of repeat sets. They got a lot of six agains. Um, I thought it was good defensive resolve from us. Um, See, I think both teams defended really well, and I think that's what it came down to in the end. 40. Yeah, I left this game feeling, uh, well, obviously it hurt to miss that last shot penalty goal that would have stolen the game at full time but I left this game largely feeling pretty positive um, I feel like Penrith um, you know play a game that could trouble us on paper very up tempo you know being able to shift the ball through a big forward pack and then get it to uh, some strike outside and yet we managed to really hold them uh, to a standstill in the middle I felt that the forward pack in large did a good job there Obviously, I think Bertie and Ham pretty much highlighted all the, the moments in the game that really cost us. Um, you know, going back, you talk about Gufferson's forward pass and intercept. Uh, Azai Papali, who otherwise played a great game, just having one little lapse on the goal line, which allowed Tyrone May to slice through. And then obviously Sean Lane with his uh, errors on both sides of the ball, pushing up to allow a gift passage to Chorus out of score. And then in that really crucial moment where I felt that we we're going to arrest that swing of possession, uh, when Mitchell Moses had that really you know good uh, inside ball to him, which nearly broke the line, and then he just loses the ball going to the ground those things really cost us and I think that um, our halves tried to keep us in the game did a fairly good job of it but that weight of possession in the second half was too much and it would have been nice to see him have you know some flashier moments but they're sort of playing with the hand that was dealt to him in that second stanza um, yeah it, it's a little bit frustrating too because uh, we, we weren't able to generate uh, huge offensive plays um, and the ones that we, we did have where Gufferson could have made the line break we end up turning it over so it's certainly, you know, a mixed performance in that regard. But at the same time, I feel like we come out of this game saying that we, we know what it takes to measure up to Penrith. Um, they're going to get Nathan Cleary back. We'll get Reed Marnie back. Um, we hopefully won't have Sean Lane brain snaps next time we play uh, in the last round of the regulation season at Bank West. So, yeah, and um, on top of that, I feel once again that the video refs were on something pretty crazy. Um, in what world was Tyrone May not tackled and passing off the ground? I don't know. Um but that's, you know, sort of you have to take and leave those ones. They, they rule that a, not a knock-on, but then they yeah. rule out the bloody, um, the camera, the Cronulla Sharks want a knock-on. Uh, like, I, don't, I don't know I what don't they're doing. It. Henry Perinara and Ashley Klein, what a combination. And we happen to get them on that Friday night, unfortunately. But yeah, um, I don't. It, it's kind of hard because I, on the large part, I am pretty happy with this because, yeah, we lost and now there's a four-point buff between us and the uh, second, um, second, first and ladder. But we, uh, we definitely measured up. And we measured up in a lot of the key areas that allow us to compete next time we meet. So, um, yeah, if we can build on that, and that's the question is whether we can build on it. And if, uh, you know, Mitchell Moses comes back from State of Origin, uh, or in, you know, not like he's playing bad football, but like a more invigorated player after getting a taste or potentially a taste of football, depending if the game goes ahead now, um, we, we definitely have more gears to hit 
in the backstretch of the uh, season. All right. I probably had a more negative spin on it, as I uh, might have seen from the Twitter post. Um, nah, I thought it's just... Nah, you were good. You were good. And, you know, I had time to reflect, rewatch the game, and I still, you know, have the same reservations, especially over our halves at this point. Um, you know, that, that team seemed to be the same team that lost to South in the in the finals last year, and it's quite frustrating, um, especially with our attacking game. It was, it was quite poor. Um, and whilst defensively we were a lot better, you know, I think the conditions contributed to that and Penrith's own um, mistakes. But I, I, I've, I've written down a fair few things and, and I'm going to start reading from them. Um, the first one, which has been a criticism all year, is our attack in, in the opposition 20 is way too sideways. Um, it continues to be. Uh, the only play that we seem to have is that sweep, which we run a couple of variations over on the left side. And then um, we also have the Isaiah Papali crash ball seems to be the new one now, you know, which is a very, that, that, that's a Penrith attacking with kick out two years ago. Like we need to add some, I don't know if we need an attacking coach or what, but we need to throw something else out. And it's quite frustrating that those early kicks in behind where I thought, you know, they were putting defense in two minds and especially getting uh, oh and, um, and Naden to turn on their heels and make them think about where the, where their positioning was. We, we didn't go back to that throughout the rest of the game, which I thought was really silly. Um, and especially when it comes to another criticism of mine is, is our short kicking game at the line. We just do not get repeat sets. And this is a team which I think two years ago, I think both Brown and Moses uh, were at the top of the table for getting kick repeat sets. And if you look at the stats uh, for Penrith, uh, Cleary and Luai are both at the top of that category. And it's no doubt that's why they're doing so well, because they're able to control the ball, control possession and control field position as well, which we just don't seem to be doing at the moment. Um, second criticism is the halves not getting their hands on the ball enough. Um, we're way too reliant upon Gutherson. And as good as he is, hes I, I don't think he has the attacking flair of a Dil, Dylan Brown or, or a Mitch Moses, especially in the opposition 20. Um, it's good to use him as a variation piece, but we seem to go to him way too often. And on that length, Dylan Brown, um, he had that great breakout game after he came back from his suspension uh the other week but since then you know his consistency especially in attack is is not great and whilst we lord him as the best defensive center in the game and he certainly is making 40 tackles is not helping us score points and it's quite i I don't know what we need to do there if ryan madison needs to step up or dylan needs to be told to you know you don't have to make every single tackle because for me does he stand out as going out looking for tackles to you guys It, it doesn't seem to to, for me, he, he makes those great cover tackles, but he doesn't like come in out of his area to try and make tackles. Is it just that he gets so much traffic running him? I, I don't um, think, yeah, I don't I think as well. before his suspension, he was going to look for tackles. Mm. I did note that after his suspension, those first couple of games, he was, you know, from Mark, he was pushing back right, whereas before he was pushing left back into the, back into the middle third there. This game, I don't think he did. I just think that, yeah. you know... Penrith, we're naturally going to attack left because that's Luai kick out, um, you know, that's that side of the field. So I think that this game, I think it was just going to be natural that he was going to make 30-plus and in this case 40-plus tackles. Okay. Yeah, I just think he, he needs to be told that, you know, and I take your point, maybe in this game he just had to cop it, but in some games he just seems to take on too much of that defensive workload and I think it has a negative impact on his attack. Um, another point, is um, I think we saw it there, Naden stepping in for uh, Charlie Staines. Um, 
Penrith just gets so much metres out of Toll and, well, Stain's usually not so much, but uh, their back three seem to just uh, get a massive amount of work. Sivo, he has a couple of hard carries out of our end, but just not enough. And one thing that really irks me, not just about our outside backs, but also our forwards, they don't hit spaces. They try to take tacklers on front on. Um, which just seems so silly because we get stuck in a wrestle um, and get stuck held up, and that's contributing to our slow play, the ball speeds, is that we're not trying to find the belly. We're not trying to, to hit a space. Uh, we're trying to take uh, opposition on front on, and it just doesn't work in this modern era. Um, and, you know, I, I love our pack being aggressive and stuff, but, you know, you've got to be a bit smarter than that. Um, bench rotation was not great the other night. Um I liked how he tried to bring in Cardi um, a bit late. Um, I liked uh, Junior Paulo coming on off the bench, uh, but there was that whole second half where we were slugging it out from our own end and I thought you could have brought somebody on like Cartwright a little bit earlier and changed things a bit up, and especially with Sean Lane. Um, you know, that defensive effort on the Appy Coruscant try, that's a, that's an auto-hooking for me. Um, you know, when somebody just doesn't bother, they just need to be hooked, and, and Lane's been caught out with that a fair few times. And that just leads oh, to the end. Can I just say on that lame one, um, yeah, like our line was set. If Lane stays in the line and keeps that defensive positioning, Coruscant doesn't score. No, he just you know, has I've to run into some the comments line. online saying, oh, Junior didn't follow Lane, but Lane's the one that makes that initial reaction. Lane moves up. It's like Daniel Wagon, 2005. He rushes up on Matty Bowen, creates that space in behind. Yeah, if you're going to rush, you got, if you're going to rush, you got to make the tackle. It's 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 a fundamental principle. Otherwise, yeah. hold the integrity of the defensive line and force them to have to come into the teeth of the defense. And unfortunately, he didn't do that, and that's why Coruscant just breezed past and scored for untouched. My my biggest gripe, right? And this is with Brad Arthur. What adv- look? I don't I don't see as much advantage of keeping a guy fresh to the seventieth minute as you're putting so much stress on your other three bench players to get through a lot of minutes. Why don't you just start even it out? Because you could tell from the you know from the fiftieth minute to when Lane got off, he was buggered. He was you know falling down in tackles. You know, it just, he just needed to get hooked and get a breather. And I don't see I don't see any benefit of leaving one guy fresh until the seventieth minute. Not when the game is close. Got to get them in. Got to get them. You need more than ten minutes to do something. And us expecting like what were you expecting Cardi to do in ten minutes? Make it fifteen or twenty minutes. I don't get. I don't. I don't not get the whole system around that. Why keep it fresh? Just I think we have a three man bench. Right. I think with Cartwright in that instance is, you know, you got in two minds. You Do you bring him on early like we did against the Dragons where it's a close game? He goes out there and tries to do everything. I think even in that 10 minutes we saw um, he got a bit overexcited. I think tackle two where he got behind the ball, which is very rare for a forward, and he overran the play, which forced the, you know, Gutho should have gone around the back to Moses or even take it himself. But it was Cartwright's excitement on that. And actually, you know, you looked at Junior and Cartwright came on about the similar time with 10 minutes to go. We wanted to win that game. And bringing on those two big attacking forwards did create a difference. And, you know, say Cartwright doesn't overrun that play, you know, it's a hypothetical from there what can happen. But, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I thought that Lane could have been taken off earlier, but I don't, yeah, I wouldn't have put, I wouldn't change Cartwright's minutes in that game. Oh, I could, even then, but like, I just, I don't understand. Like we all could see it. Like I'm not even. I'm, I'm an armchair coach. He was buggered. He was buggered in defense yeah. and attack. Like what's Brad Arthur too busy focusing on? Like I don't. I don't. And this is where someone you know. I don't know if someone knows. Like why he just reluctant to use the bench? I don't know. Does he? Does he think we we get a bonus if we take a bench home? You know, and in the change spot. I don't know. It's just. It's well, frustrating. It's more frustrating than. What I'd like to see is a couple of weeks back or last whenever it was. Um, Brad dropped 
or not dropped, but played Cartwright and Kafusi for long minutes in reserve grade. Maybe we need to see Sean Lane drop down reserve grade and tell him, mate, you're going to be playing 60, 70 minutes in the middle from the start and you need to be on your game the whole time. Maybe that's something that needs to happen and Lane can switch on and go, well, you know, if I can play 60 minutes in reserve grade and I've got that those metres in the legs, 30, 40 minutes in first grade is probably not as, you know, not as harsh. I think maybe it's, that's it's, what needs to be looked at with Lane as well. It's obviously why he's in the team because of his size, right, in his frame, but that does not, you know, that doesn't balance out the laziness in his attack and defence. Yeah. You've got to, just because he's, you know, almost seven foot tall, whatever, it's lazy. He's, that's the biggest killer in the game. That's what Uppy looks for, lazy players. You know, that's what all the smart players look for. So, I don't know, get someone much more fitter in there. Like I said, I'd rather have Hipgrave there. You know, he might be a bit fitter, but, geez, we need someone, you know, Lane needs to improve his fitness or, you know, go play Winnie. And then just added to that, that's extra strike power. You know, you've got Isaiah Papali, who's breaking a 1,000 tackles a game. And Sivo, 10 metres out, you know, you'd, you'd almost guarantee him getting a try any time he's that far out. But outside of that, and I know he's only young and we can't be too um, harsh on him, but uh, our new winger, you know, out of yardage and then in attack, you know, I think, and I think Ham's sh- sh- shown some similar views, is that he's going to be, you know, a, a fine first grade winger, but mostly sort of a, a reserve sort of called up when needed um, winger as opposed to any of those strike sort of wingers that are going to come in and, and light the, the comp on fire. Who do we have? Do you think waiting in the wings that could step up to that next role is our is our young man that do, debuted the other week? Is that who we're sort of? If we're looking, depends what sort of winger we're looking for here. I think if we're going to have Sivo on the left hand side, maybe on the right hand side we look at Naiduki because Naiduki can, you know, he's built and he is willing to take those hit ups. I think that twelve months has really hampered his development um, off and seeing that, you know, just that he sort of stuck. I think he's reserve grade now because he's had a bit of time under his belt. But, you know, he was a bit between flag and reserve grade. But I think if you can get Naiduki and get his mindset, I think you can get him making 15, 16 carries a game. That's who I think should have. That's who I think could be our winger next year. Um, another possibility, uh, and I think it's probably more of a chance of happening, is Penasini comes and plays right centre. Um, you know, there's a possibility that he comes in and plays this year, but I think we've seen from young Will that even in reserve grade, he's willing to make 15, 20 carries a game, and he's willing to do those hard ruck runs. Um, I don't think Will's a winger. I think Will's perfect at centre. Um, so, you know, if you're going to have Will at centre, you might be able to get away with having two sort of not weak rucking wingers, but, you know, not in that elite category. I think if you can have Will... Um, and uh, Wanga Black didn't have a great rucking game uh, on the weekend, but I think if you can get two centres that are willing to help out, um, you might be able to have your. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure if Dunster's a first grade, regular first grade winger at this point in his career. Um, but if we're looking just for a stopgap solution for 2022, which I don't think we should, because we're in a premiership window. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna have him on the wing, you need two good rucking centres. Yeah, and I think that's one of the issues is that Wunga Blake, uh, obviously on the weekend, didn't get in and ruck it out as much as one might hope. Um, and Opacic, as, as much as he's stepped in, he's done a good job. You know, he's a he's a first-grade centre and uh, he doesn't have that strike playing ability. Um, one other person that, you know, leaps to mind, especially in that strike, center, uh, strike category, is Ryan Madison. Um, 
you know, I just think that some of his carries are lacking venom at the moment. And I don't know if that's a protection mechanism because he's copped so many knocks recently um, in the last couple of seasons or, or what it is. You know, he's great in respect of, you know, uh, being up there to bat the ball back when we're in opposition 20 and to, you know, make some space on that right edge. But it just seems that right edge is just not clicking at the moment. And that might just be there's a lack of consistency because, you know, Dylan's had timeout, Ryan's had timeout, and then we've just switched Wunger um, from right over to left and put Opacic on that wing, uh, that, that centre spot. And then you've just changed it up with the, the wing pairing as well. So I don't know if that just needs more time to sort of – uh, get into their groove and click and, you know, we've got some time to work on that, those combinations on that right edge or whether it's just, you know, something else that's just not, not adding up on that edge. It doesn't help that on the other side you've got uh, Papa Lee who's like so dynamic and even, you know, he, he's been thrown in there, he's been put to the bench. Like, it just doesn't help that for some reason it clicks with him. I don't know if he's – I don't know what it is. Like, you, you can argue that, oh, what you said just about Madison, we've got too much now. Papa Lee, you know, he goes in there – you know, Wonga Blake and um, and Opacic have switched. Like, Phil Papa Lee is making a lot of a lot of our forwards run, um, making them a little bit second rate, second raiders. They run. So he just doesn't give up. He just always legs and couple of players that need to, you know, go spend some time with Papa Lee. I think, um, you know, the way we've got our attack set up is that we're going to attack left. Whenever we get a quick play of the ball, we want the ball in the Mitch's hands, and Gutho naturally sweeps on the left hand side. So. Our right-hand side need to be strong. They need to be a good, you know. The way I see Dill's game at the moment is he's there to get a quick play of the ball, disrupt the defensive line a little bit so it can go left. Um, unfortunately, I, I also think that's, you know, part of bringing Dill into first grade. Um, with Matt, I thought it was his best game um, since returning against Penrith. I thought he was getting his hands on the ball a little bit more. Um, but... You know, I'm a big fan of Will Penasini. I'm going to say it again. I think that if, you know, if you chuck Will on that side, he's got that ball-playing ability. Really, to me, he's a young Michael Jennings. I think that if you put him on that side, you get Dill, Maddo, and uh, Will together for, you know, half a season. I think they can develop that um, attacking threat. And I think that those three complement each other because, you know, Dill's not the best ball player, but what Dill will give you is a very straight attack. So if he can straighten his attack, he can either get the early ball out to Maddo, who's also a ball player, can get the ball out to Will, who's also a ball player, but they can also, all three can also take on the line. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's not working at the moment. I think that it depends what, you know, we don't really know what they've been told what to do. But from what I can see is that they've been told, try and get your one-on-one tackles, 1v1s, and then we'll look to shift left. Because whenever we get a quick play of the ball, it's very rare to go into Dylan. So he's always, usually he's up against a set defensive line, which is, it's hard to do. I think that's why he does take the, the it's not the easy option because no one wants to get tackled, but it's the safe option. Yeah, and whilst I might be saying it's not mobily negative, you know, this team is a top four team. That's what they are. That's what they've been so far this season. But these are criticisms that are aimed at getting us over that next hump, which is to get us into a prelim or possibly to a grand final. And these are things that need to be addressed to get us to that next level. Like you can look at the NRL outside of the top 
five or six teams, the rest of the the league is pretty much a basket case, haven't adapted to these new rule changes. And that's a combination of not being able to get the cattle because you can't change your whole roster in one or two seasons when you put these frigging rule changes in overnight. Um, but also some at, at, a, at a more fundamental level are, are completely run like, you know, basket cases. You know, West Tigers, Birdie's favourite club in, in is, is, is um, uh, um, evidence of that. But... Um, it's just to get to that next level. And, 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 and on that point, it's just not winning those big moments, especially in this game against Penrith. Opacic, he's got that chance to, to take the intercept and run it away, and he's untouched under the posts. Where you see Naden take that ball on the other edge, he drops it. And, you know, I don't want to be too negative on Opacic because obviously coming into that game, he, he was dealing with a lot. Um, and, you know, we'll get to that in the news about how disgraceful News Corp are, but... Um, the Gutho, the intercept that he threw to Nate, and again, we've already touched on that 40. If he throws that ball short, um, that's a potential try uh, that we've we've missed. Then the Gutho forward pass to, um, to Cartwright. Um, when I saw that, what I was frustrated with is Moses is behind Cartwright, and I thought there was some there was some room on that edge um, if he wanted to take it on and him not calling that ball out, especially in that last 10-minute period where he should be getting his hands on the ball and especially when you can see that Cartwright's overrun it. Um, that was the frustration that I thought the ball should have gone to Moses on that play. But again, it's it's forward pass and it's just not that attention to detail in those key minutes. And then lastly, Moses' attempt at the two-point field goal, I thought we needed to kick long um, on that one and pin Penrith down and make them work it out from their end rather than go for the hero play. And if it came off, yes, he would have been celebrated. It would have been great. But it's just those little things you've got to go for the percentage play in those circumstances 99 times out of 100. The, the hero play doesn't come off. And whilst the rest of Moses' game it was a lot more controlled, I did like you know the long kicking game. He certainly kept us innocent in that second half when we didn't have very much ball at all. I thought just in that first half, while Penrith kept making errors coming out of their own end, we really didn't make them pay for it as much as we should have. I thought we should have been up by uh, – we should, certainly should have been up at the halftime. We went into the halftime down 6-4. Um, but, you know, with having Cleary out, with having Luai get, getting an injury during the game, with having Penrith having to make a couple of changes to their outside backs, I thought that was a really good game for us to, to really get up and put something on Penrith. But we just failed to. And, and I understand Reed's out, but, you know, Reed's been out for a couple of weeks now. It's a little bit different to having Cleary out. So, um, you know, they've got some things to improve on towards the end of the season. And, and that's going to be the difference between, you know, a prelim or going out in straight sets again, because I think we're headed at this moment to finish fourth and play Melbourne down in Melbourne in week one. And, you know, the way that that's gone the last couple of seasons is play them close and then not regroup in the second week and bow out. And I don't want to see that happen again this season. And and those are some things that they just need to get better on if they're going to take it to that next level. Rant over. I mean, I get your point regarding, um, uh, like we're missing Reed and Marnie. But yet, you look at the difference between Marnie and Darcy Lustig, not Darcy Lustig, Joey Lustig, right? And yet, when Cleary's out, they're bringing in Burton, right? And Burton, like, the, you know, the hype on that kid, like, I'm just saying, but they, like... they didn't bring in Burton. Yeah, they, played, like, they played Tyrone May, who's a freaking handbrake on that team. Well, I'm just... It's just... Look, there's, there's a major difference between Marnie and Lustig. Is, is, is that clear? Like, I'm not disrespecting Lustig. So, like... There's a major difference had, like, between Cleary and Tyrone May. I I, under, I understand that, but it's just like out there, Lua was controlling majority of the match. It's just, it's just, it's just. I thought it's it was like, actually Apparisau who, who really yeah, took that Coruscant game. Was the the one that, he was the one that really troubled us. 
He was I well I said it before. He was the to me he was the difference maker between the one of the difference makers between two sides. Hello. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think oh, yeah. yeah. Rant over. All right. Well, how about we wrap it up there and then we'll get on to uh, some news. Uh, so starting off, we may as well start with the major news, which is Moses has outbatted Reynolds to get that starting gig in Game 3, um, which I think is well-deserved over the last season and a bit, you know, uh, well, at least the last three or four seasons, especially since that World Cup. Moses's game has lifted every single year, um, except for that disastrous 2018, but we're going to blame that all on uh, Smooth Corey. Um, <laughs> he's, I, I think he's really deserving. Obviously, he's a rung beho- below... Um, below Cleary. Um, but, you know, I think he's done. He's ticked all the boxes and all those people having a cry about putting in Moses and Walker, uh, putting in Reynolds and Walker, um, both of those players have been tested at origin level and been found wanting. And, you know, you might want to suck yourself off over the South's doing really well. They've both had 50 points put on them by Team 1 and 2, where I think the difference, and, you know, I know South's beat us, but the difference is quite clear in that we've played teams one and two quite close, and, and a lot of that's on the back of Moses' kicking game, his attention to detail, and his ability to um, you know game manage and and get those ball to the outside um, as required. And I think you know as much as you want to Lord Reynolds, um, he's going to Broncos next year. He'll be a, a, you know never to be heard from again up at that defunct organisation at the moment. So you may as well blood somebody who, if Cleary does go down, you know, maybe next year, Moses could be there to step up. And um, I think only the best for him um, in that respect. And he, hopefully he can learn some things out of camp and, and, and in the game and bring it back to club land. Well, um, I think it was Peter Sterling who noted that um, one of the biggest knocks on Mitchell Moses has been his ability to fit in with the system. And it's a potential that um, on the weekend we saw, you know, he wasn't going trying to overplay his hand. He wasn't trying to throw the 20-meter cutout pass. For the most part, he was just kicking to the corners, um, putting those bombs up, making sure that his kick pressure could get there in time to put pressure on the fullback. And, you know, you, you read people saying, oh, but what about when he screamed at Gutho? But that's the relationship they allegedly have that the coaches said that those two players have. So, you know, that's the way that, you know, you don't see Moses talking like that to other players because they don't have that relationship with each other. So uh, I think it'd be huge for Mitchell. Um, as you said, his game's just constantly getting, has gotten better and better. Um, and I think it'd be huge for the Eels having that, you know, it's so rare that you get big game experience. And I think that the teams that usually win the competition are the ones with the most big game experience. You might be able to pick up a couple like um, the game against Penrith, the game against Melbourne um, throughout the year, but your finals and your origins and potentially your tier one internationals some at points are your big games and those are the ones you learn from the most. So um, huge for Mitchell and those saying it's a dead rubber. It's, you know, yes, New South Wales have won, but Queensland will be out there making sure that it's not 3-0. They're going to be right on their game. They're going to be right on their toes. They do not want to lose. So, and, you know, New South Wales has lost a few players. Um, Queensland's brought a few back with Ponga uh, and a couple of other players too that are, uh, I uh, can't remember. But it'll be a big game, huge for Moses. I'm so proud of him. Yeah, um, I'm a, it's a huge positive when you, whether you look at it like he's going there, he's going to be training with these um, other, you know, top, top players in the league. He's going to pick up, you know, a bit of, you know, um, 
uh, knowledge, you know, amongst them. Like, you know, training with Teddy, like he hasn't trained with him, you know, been the same team for like a long time. And Teddy's an ultimate professional. So like, that's why I was so pleased when Marnie was named because he was going to go into the Queensland camp and learn off the likes of Munster and, you know, the Giraffe, Cherry Evans. Like, yeah, okay, they're going to be playing, but like, I'm talking about off the field, how you approach the game day, you know, so it's going to be, you know, this might actually kickstart him and, you know, he might learn a few things, how to prepare better, like, I think it's it does more um there's more positive more um more benefits for him to be in it than um not to be in it yeah just to have Adam um Adam Reynolds he, he's old he's gonna be in a you know he's gonna be in a Super League in two years like th- we need to know now New South Wales going forward who is our backup to clear because clear he's gonna be the halfback right until something until he falls off a cliff you know um with his form he's not gonna lose that number one and we need to know who's coming through who's gonna take that who's gonna you know contest to him and challenge him and. You know Moses. He we did he did everything we could to win that game on Friday. He kicked to the corners, kicked deep. You know he could have you know he could have done a tip chip and chase. You know he could have like brought out the party bag and you know we might have lost you know twenty thirty points, but stuck to the game plan and yeah I'm, I'm I just I just hope he makes us proud. You know as Parramatta fans as as I posted in um the chat before, uh, I can't remember the last Eels halfback play Origin for us and you know not, not that doesn't happen. It was nineteen ninety seven, wasn't it? Is that yeah. what we settled on before that yeah. stellar? Yeah, I was four years old, so like, not many, you know, not often we see that. So, you know, this could be the circuit breaker that makes Moses go to the next level. Yeah, four to forty. Have we lost yeah. you? No, 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 I'm here. Sorry, I was just looking after my puppy. Um, yeah, I think that even a solid game would do a lot for Mitchell moving forwards. Obviously, being in the Origin environment um, is nothing but a net positive. Being able to, you know, players that he's played with and against in the past, but in that atmosphere, in that arena, um, you know, the chance to go on and carve up a, even if Queensland are shit, they're still a, a very good team. So hopefully we can go and do that. If he has a great game, that's even better. That's just pure gravy. I am very disappointed that Queensland didn't even bother to touch out, uh, re- reach out and touch, get in contact with um, Reed Money though. That seems, um, I, I don't know like what you, you described that one too, but um, he was there for camp for game one and is apparently was like touch and go to play against Penrith and will be definitely playing against the Titans yet. They don't bother to reach out to him and opt to go with Ben Hunt. So that's uh, disappointing for Parramatta in terms of his own development and a huge loss to Queensland because you talk about Bertie um, having that redundancy for New South Wales and having a backup that you need to know can go if Nathan Cleary isn't there. It's the same thing for Queensland, if not even more, because Harry Grant is being made like, is made of glass at this point. He is injured uh, as much as he is playing, and Queensland need a number nine that you know can be there, and Reid is an Iron Man for the most part, and this was a great chance for them to see what he can do in that arena. So... Um, very disappointing in that regard. But yeah, hopefully uh, Mitch can come back from this game and uh, go to the next level because he's had a very good 2021 and uh, he is on the cusp of, of having a, a dominant 2021. If he can just uh, balance the game management, which is really you know taken off, which is fantastic, and blend it with the ability to put the foot down and really take on the line uh, when the game is there. Because he's done, he does both things quite well at certain times. If he can just have that extra layer of consistency there, he'll be uh, up there with Nathan Cleary as one of the most dominant halves in the competition. All right, and Gutho recalled into the team. Um, so he's on the extended bench with White going to 6-14 in Appy Corusau. Um, it's a good shout-out. Uh, the puzzling one is uh, former Eels junior, uh, Stefano Otuikumanu, um, a bit out of left field for, for that pick, considering he's been dropped from the West Tigers a couple of times this season. Yeah, definitely. Um, although Freddie does like to bring in a... Uh someone a young fella who's um had a bye week i think you know covering one eye here and one eye showing i don't know why i couldn't be oregon 
because to me, Oregon's sort of he hasn't quite had a breakout year. But to me, you know, if you say you switch their roles, do you see Stefano doing what Kafusi's done this year for Parramatta, and do you see you know Oregon potentially even starting and being absolutely dominant for the Tigers? You know, so I, I would no, have liked, he's got a ways to go. But you know, compare him to where Stefano is. Like that's what we're, we're not we're not talking. You know, I think that. Yeah, Stefano to me at the moment is a better player, and <laughs> it's me being uh, not jealous but sort of envious. I'm going well. I want Oregon to have that sort of experience and to bring it back to the club. <laughs> well, who who is like uh, your up and coming young uh, props? Welsh props through like tell me is this Stefano like surely there's someone else currently playing doing better. They still have a pretty young side, don't they? Because Haas is still pretty young. He's only in his early twenties. Um, I mean, Junior's 28 this year. I'm not sure how old Saifidi is, but his would be sort of mid-20s, I think. Yeah, I thought RCG might be get a call-up, but I guess not, so... Well, I think if there's an injury, I think RCG does get the call. Yeah, it just seems a bit strange that he wouldn't be brought into the into the fold, but I guess everybody's in lockdown, so it wouldn't really matter. Um, but, yeah. Well, you expect in the next, uh, you know, two to three years, that that could be uh, Hughes and Hollis. You know? Maybe one of them can get the, the camp game free and learn off. If they're going to give it away to Fano, like maybe one of them, future. Alright, um, other bit of news is, I don't know if we touched on this last time, but in respect of the Eels uh, bid in the Women's Rugby League, uh, we've confirmed our five signings, so I believe it's four, is it four um, top level signings, is that right? Each club gets four marquees? Yeah, we've got, we announced four players plus a young recruit five. from, did we announce yeah. five? Yeah, we know we get five total, but we announced four, right? No, we've got f- announced five. Two, four. Yeah, announced five, and then we've added um, the sixth player uh, today, Ben Curtin. Who's yeah. The- so when they were initially announced, former Roosters captain and one of the oh, toughest forwards Simone. in the women's yeah, game. Right. I was missing Tafa. Simone Tafa. Um, and added to that, Tiana Penatani, um, Vete Welsh, Philomena Hanisi, and Kennedy Cherry. So um, there's a lot of experience there. We're taking this competition seriously. And, um, you know, you can tell by the club, uh, Jim Sarantino, he's loving it. Um, so is uh, the uh, – remind me again, who's our coach? Dean Mr. Withers. Dean Withers. Yeah. Roosters fans seem to be pretty disappointed to lose Taufa. Um She was pretty central to their program and hopefully will help get our um, ladies team hitting the ground running. This year and Broncos have retained pretty much their whole squad. So uh, it's going to be a difficult competition, but um, we've certainly given ourselves the best uh, shape that we can. And so the pre-season begins next week, July 12th, and the competition kicking off in August. So um, we've always got some more signings to come, but it's a really good start for this competition. Oh, and just a reminder, you can get a... Oh, sorry. You go, Benny. No, you go. I was just going to say, if you want to uh, go and pick yourself up a a special membership package for the NRLW team, um, I know I'll be doing that for myself and for my daughter. So um, go out and get Right into it. I think it's fifty bucks for an adult. Um, I'm not quite sure how much it is for a child. I was just going to point out, um, just just a just a little smoky. Why don't we approach? Oh, I know we don't got much pool, but Elia Green was knocked back from the Tokyo Olympic squad for the rugby um, nines, whatever it is. Maybe we should go approach her. You know, you know, she's a bit of X factor. She played for the Warriors, I believe, last year, was it? Uh, so yeah, just someone you know the club can look at us. Yeah, I think you know. When you're talking about that sort of caliber of player, she also brings eyes to the game. You know, she's a big, she's a huge attraction in rugby sevens, and a lot of there's a lot of people that are fans of her. I think that 
you know, if they want to get eyes on the game and they want to make it profitable, that's the sort of player that, um, you know, and especially a Parramatta who's already a big, big fan base and a big membership, you know, sort of swaying her towards our side would be, I think, a very good thing for uh, the game and also Parramatta. 40? Yeah, um, for me, the, the most exciting thing for the NRLW team would be seeing our young girls progress within the system. Obviously, Alessalio, Sita Payne and Ruby John Kennard come to mind uh, as two girls that you sort of have bookmarked the way to progress into that senior squad at some point, whether it's this year or the next. Um, but yeah, I'm just really keen. The NRLW has been so fun to watch over the last few years. And not only for the Parramatta Eels to be able to watch the game, but seeing the competition ramp up uh, into a, a, you know, a greater level of play, more teams, more rounds, uh, eventually the extended final series. That's just really cool. Um, and I think the NRL, uh, even with the slow burn approach, has done a very good job of um, developing the competition to what it now is. So yeah, really excited to see how we go in the first year. And it adds a lot of spice to that run to the, the finals for the men because we're going to be watching the ladies hopefully compete in the postseason as well. Well, that's the thing, you know. I think we've got a few um, teams from the um, Harvey Norman Women's Premiership in the New South Wales Rugby League. I think there's one, two, three, four, maybe five Western Sydney teams in that competition. And, um, you know, pretty sure we're the only Western Sydney team. Yeah, we are the only Western Sydney team in the uh, NRLW there. So... Um, a lot of te- a lot of players to pick from, and a lot of um, you know. I think we might be able to get the pick of the bunch, and it's so exciting having a women's team in uh, coming up. I don't think there's much news outside of that, other than wide NRL news. Um, you know, Paul Vaughan, no, yeah, any takers? No, no, I don't think there'll be any takers, and I think that the NRL might uh, force him to wait until the uh, duration of his current contract expires before he's allowed to be considered for registration again. I wouldn't be shocked to see them enforce that. Um, he obviously put the game into jeopardy uh, on the back of his very ill-advised and selfish uh, post-game party, uh, which has now put the game next week against the Dragon, uh, Dragons, the Manly Seagulls, into doubt because they have to find out whether there were additionals that haven't been... Because they've changed the story about half a dozen times, the players. So there's talk about women that were at the house that weren't uh, officially listed by the players. So the police are doing their due diligence there and it'll be interesting to see how bad this story gets. Just... Yeah, I think that's the We've always the hook, isn't it? it? You know, just the cover-up's worse than the, the crime, isn't exactly. It? Like obviously, having the party in the first place is stupid. But if they hadn't tried to hide from police and then cover up from the NRL and collab- I think they were talking about they had a collaborative Zoom call to try and get their story straight. So the the cover-up definitely uh, made this a lot even more worse than it could have been. And you know, he's paid the price, sacked, missing out on an eight hundred k payday a year. And, yeah, I imagine that there'll be teams sorting him out because he's still a decent player. But, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked to see the NRL put the foot down on this one and really make him the uh, symbol of uh, stupidity and what you should not do when there's a COVID lockdown, level four lockdown in the NRL or level three, level four, whatever it is. And the thing is, it's not as if it's only the footy players that have to do it. Everybody's in it at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, these blokes are still... be able to go outside, but still be able to go to their job. A lot of people have lost their jobs Mm -hmm. and you know, are in a very dark place. And I hope if anybody is listening to this, I hope that, um, you know, you look for to uh, be able to get yourself out of that situation, hopefully. But it's, just, it's all, you know, all of them should get sacked or all, all, all of them should be stood. And it's, you know, it's hard because the rest of the guys that have done the right thing in the Dragons Club, you know, it's they're the ones that are going to suffer. But these guys have put the whole game, they put hundreds of jobs in, in jeopardy. And I said it. I said it last year. The people that broke the bubble are putting. They should have been banned for the year. 
and I think it should be the same thing here. They've they've put so many jobs at jeopardy, and they're just being reckless and careless, and it's it's disgusting. Yeah. I, I don't think any should. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. He's, he's obviously a strike uh, second rower option and can play in the middle, but yeah, I just if the uh, NRL really yeah. want to punish Vaughn, you know what they'd do, right? Bertie, what would they do? Sorry, what? Say it again? If the NRL really wanted to punish Vaughn, instead of sacking him, what would they do? Give him a COVID shot. With that no, too, but make him play Tigers. for the West Tigers. Yeah, that's it, Bertie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, yeah, no, like, I don't want to make it like, you know, I'm stuck, I've been stuck at home for the past days. Like, I've, I mean, you know, I haven't worked, you know, I'm a casual worker and I'm, I'm you know, I'm on a survive this, like, and yet you've got this idiot, this twat, you know, on 800k, let's have a party and... Yeah. And you got like just, and you can I just say like the excuses of like it just reminded me when I was seventeen or eighteen, you know, we're at a party and cops come, we're just running, and oh, I was just walking, you know, I, I didn't know whose house it was, I was just, you know, I was just walking my dog, like hiding under the bed, like it just, it's childish, man, like it's just petty and how yeah, divorce know, reality like, of these players, seriously, uh, how uh, insular is their world that they think that this is okay, and you know, un- unfortunately for Vaughn, he was a repeat offender, you know, he clearly didn't get the message the first time in in the twenty twenty lockdown when he was caught going to a cafe. So he gets his just desserts this time around, and he obviously fronted up on 360 tonight and, you know, had his cap in hand and said he was sorry and whatnot. And it felt like maybe, maybe it was, I'll be honest, but maybe it was also a PR grab to try and show the NRL and other clubs, you know, how contrite he is and that he's worthy of the contract. But I'm, I'm glad that they came down on him. I think it sets the example that players need to have because, you know, they're talking about state of origin might not be viable for game three, which would be a huge loss. They're, you know, they now there's question marks over whether the game can go forward against Manly, and you know stuff like that just puts the NRL in such a bad spot. So yeah, very much so, and and they all know the rules now. Like, there's no excuse. Uh, the only thing is, the Bulldogs apparently wasn't communicated to some of those players, and that <laughs> the level four restrictions had come in, and that's why they went a bit uh, light on them. But um, you know, everybody knew uh, what needed to be uh what, what was required of them and and having a house party of warnings place is just yeah, it's not on and um especially considering they all tried to to leg it plus they've lied to the club and the integrity unit um you know it's just it makes it so much worse so you know you're paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a footballer i'm stuck at home in a lockdown i've taken it seriously like i didn't even go i, I got my my parents to pick up my kids last friday because um, I took it so seriously that I'd been put into lockdown that I, I didn't want to go and break it. Um, and, you know, people are, pu- are missing their families. They're missing all those sorts of things. And a couple of rich footballers, you know, need to get on the cans at somebody's house because they flicked a win against the Warriors who, who tossed a game away. It's just, it's not good enough. Um, all right. Well, that, that's been a, a nice rant podcast tonight. Um, <laughs> I must have been having some old man juice. Um, uh, Where are those bloody um, cows? We need to yell at them. <laughs> yeah, too many kids have been on my lawn this week exercising. It's uh, it's been unfortunate. Um, we need some. What can we? We need to end on something happy, but we can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess uh, that tomorrow, which will be Wednesday the seventh, we'll find out if lockdown's going to increase or oh, or decrease. A, that's, not a, that's not positive. <laughs> oh, well, if it, if it if it if it if it ends on Friday and we're able to go Origin at Stadium Australia next Wednesday. They'll be very happy, but um, I, I think that's a very, very long shot, and it's quite unlikely. But you know, that's something that's something happy to end on a little bit of hope um, for, for, for lockdown. Oh, maybe, maybe, oh, probably ninety or hundred percent of the people don't care. But football's coming home. Uh, oh, England yeah. are doing pretty well in Euro twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Forza Zuri. <laughs> I, I did. I did tip Italy to win it because they're, they're you know they're specifically their unit, but. 
Man, I've got to back my boy Harry Kane, man. Well, he's one of our own until he signs with Man City next week. But <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy with um, it. Surely, if they don't win it, man, that's a bigger choke than the World Cup. So yeah, well, they haven't yeah. conceded a goal yet. So <laughs> it's uh, yes. Well, I think Italy will breeze past Spain, um, and then obviously coming up against Denmark, England. Uh, they're bolstered by what happened with um, Christian Eriksen having a heart attack on the field in the first game. So um, they're pushed by that. And I think Italy are being uh, pushed by um, the nation that was sort of first, you know, very harshly the COVID stuff. So, um, yeah, but fingers crossed on this end, football's coming home and hopefully we are out of lockdown because I heard that um, James Graham would be down at Cheers Bar on the Monday morning and I might just take a, might have a sickie that day. And get down at Jeez Bar and celebrate with him. <laughs> um, any other outside news? Uh, oh, NBA. Bucks oh, through. They're going to do it. I'm, I'm rooting Can for... Can I just say... Yeah, buddy. Oh, no, mine's sports. I was going to say, I'm rooting for the Suns, I suppose. Um, Giannis is a is a great you know player in his own right for the Bucks, but Suns are massive underdogs, and you've got Chris Paul looking for his uh, breakthrough championship. So it'll be a good series either way. Can I just say, how great is it? My Dallas Cowboys are going to be on Hard Knocks. Jerry World <laughs> in HD. How good is that? Oh, no. Can I just... He, he, he can find... And you know what's funny? Like, um, people, fans are complaining, oh, the Cowboys are on again. But we were one of the five teams that we couldn't say no to it, apparently. They, they reached some criteria. But any chance Jerry can milk that money? <laughs> you know, further, further For increases, the brand, baby. For the brand. You can't hate, you can't hate him. He's, he's a great businessman and... yeah. Manipulates. Oh, sorry. He monop- monopolizes on everything. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else? Oh, pretty good place oh. to tidy it up. Go the Bucks. Come back, Daddy Rogers. You're you're leaving us for too long. Please get that mental health in order and get back to us. Who? Daddy Rogers, mate. Kenny Rogers back. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy Rogers, mate. Aaron. Aaron, mate. Oh, Aaron. Aaron. I'm not the gambler. Got to know when to hold him. Got to know when to fold him. It's time to fold him now, Bertie. Okay, we'll catch you guys on the next Power Podcast. Cheers. See ya. Cheers later. Go to Eels.